0: I'm gonna go it's now time for the
2: mike wagner show powered by sonic web studios visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs the mike wagner show brings you famous celebrities and amazing people from all over the world listen online at the Show.com and on facebook soundcloud spreaker spotify and iHeartRadio. radio and watch the interview on youtube so sit back and relax and enjoy the mike wagner show
3: Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all you needs. Looking at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show, get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, the Mike Wagner Show is brought to you by Evan Fine of the Senior Reserve Group. When you start thinking about retirement, who are you going to call about Medicare? Why call the best? Evan Fine of Senior Reserve Group, specializing in Medicare, health, and long-term care insurance. Evan can be reached at 1-800-650-9357. That's one 650 9357 or email to Evan Fine at CienaReserveGroup.com. Evan is licensed in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, South Carolina, and Florida. Also, the Mike Wagner Show can be heard on the Also, check our Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash The Mike Wagner Show. You can also download and listen on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And also watch the interview on YouTube as well. And coming next month, the Mike Wagner Show will be on TLB TV on video. You can also watch the LibertyBeaconNetwork.com You can also catch the Mike Wagner Show next month and coming soon as well. We're here with uh, a very fine gentleman who's been in the business for, I would I would say, about maybe close to half a century. He's um, Brooklyn-born, veteran actor since 1966, went to college in Marietta, Ohio, then he later trekked on to become an Air Force officer in King Salmon, Alaska, worked for an oil Oil Company up in Williston, North Dakota. We'll c- compare the um, the Williston back in his day to uh, comparing today. And uh, he appeared in The Sting and also is in Hawaii 5 Ben, and, of course, just countless TV movies with The Van Dyke Show, Survival Game, Matlock, Bustin' Loose and more. I mean, he's just been about, uh, oh, my gosh, I think I've just lost count over a hundred appearances like 25 years performing 30 plus commercials in years 75 on-camera appearances and got a book coming out but ladies and gentlemen without further ado just going from yellow brick road to yellow brick road and just tracks all across the nation and tells all about here he is the king of oil lee paul (laughs) lee good morning good afternoon good evening thanks for joining us my pleasure (laughs) <laughs> well, you've been uh, you've been acting since 1966. You went to college in Marietta, Ohio. You became an Air Force officer in King Salmon, Alaska. And at one point, you worked for an oil company up in Williston, North Dakota. You appeared in The Sting and also in a uh, Hawaii Five-O, Ben, and um, quite others as well too. And you also got a a book that's going to be uh, that's available on Amazon in a few months. And before we get into all that, um, tell us how you got started in show business.
1: Well, that's an interesting story, and after that long introduction, it's almost like you've covered the entire gambit, but <laughs> the truth is, uh, I got out of New York, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, and I got out of New York on a scholarship, and I went to Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio, and uh, the story there is that I got a scholarship in the chemistry department. And when I got to uh, Marietta, I found out that because I went to, Br- uh, to Brooklyn Tech, uh, which was a uh, highly respected high school, public high school, but you had to take a actual entrance exam to get into it. And uh, that brings back the first step, which was I went to PS8, public school number eight, which was the garbage can of the school system right under the Brooklyn Bridge. And I think I was the first and only person ever to be accepted to Bronx High School of Science, Erasmus, and Brooklyn Tech. So I got when I left Brooklyn Tech, I went to college for that first year on a scholarship, but I'd already done every experiment and every test for the first year, so I was really, really bored. Plus the fact I was in a lab all the time. And I found out that the Petroleum Engineering Department actually went out on field trips. And I said, hey, maybe that's what I should be doing. So I transferred from chemistry to petroleum engineering. Now, while I'm in the petroleum engineering department, I'm a young guy from Brooklyn. I think uh, there were more people on my block than there were in the entire college. So I wasn't that impressed, except the fact that I was only 16. (laughs) So I had a lot to learn, but uh, I thought I was a real smart guy, you know, a real smarty. So what happened is that I'm chasing everybody I'm chasing all the women. And, and cause in New York, you know, you stand on the corner and whistle as the girls go by. And, and I found out that this very attractive girl was in a show and I didn't even know what a show was in Brooklyn, you know, you steal hubcaps and try to stay out of jail. But the truth is that <laughs> I, there was a theater department there. And I said to myself, well, What's this all about?" And turns out she was in a play called, uh, actually it was an operetta called The Medium by Manati. I still remember these things, it's hard to believe. Anyway, um, I realized that in order to get close to this girl, I was going to have to get into this play. So I went up to the um, music director, and he was like about 5'3". I'm 6'5 a half now, I was 6'6 six, six then, and I said, I'm going to be in your play. And he said, oh, "Okay, okay, okay, okay." <laughs> so, so, what happened was, I wound up, I wound up auditioning and getting the role, and the role was Mr. Gabineau And and it's it, the play's kind of dark and mysterious. It's about a couple who goes to a medium to try to contact their dead son. It's not, it's, it's not laugh, fun and laughs. But I do remember the first line that, and only line that I had to sing. And uh, if your audience can stand it, I'll try it right now. There, there, don't cry. You know that he's happier now than if he had lived. Now, that was my only line. Now, so I'm in in the theater department, and I'm trying to chase this girl who's the lead. She's got a beautiful voice, and I I think she went on to a professional singing career. I don't even know. But halfway through the run of the play, I'm... uh, taking my curtain call and it's warm and the lights on me and the applause. And I'm saying, Hey, this is, this is pretty good. And she kind of steps in front of me. And I remember subconsciously pushing her out of the way, like she was in my spotlight. (laughs) That was the end of the women and the beginning of show business. So that's how I got in.
3: (laughs) And, and, and the size of proven too, just a little shove, and that's how I got in. So that is just amazing. I love that, and um, and, and of course this also uh took you on a trek as well too, and um, and and you were in college in uh, Marietta, and um, and did you did you go um get your chemistry degree after all, or petroleum, or did you continue acting and then get into petroleum?
1: No, actually, I got my degree in petroleum engineering, but in those days, it was called a Bachelor of Science in Petroleum Studies. Okay. Fifteen years later, it was reaccredited as a true petroleum engineering degree. Okay. But there I am in in, in Marietta, and I have an interesting showbiz story, if you'd like to hear it tied in with that.
3: Absolutely. Now here's
1: this story. Here's this story. While I'm in Marietta, I wound up gravitating to the – local television station on, on, on the um, on the campus and uh, all of a sudden we find out that we're going to have the world premiere of the movie Battle Hymn is going to be in Marietta, Ohio. It turns out that Colonel Hess, who was a minister, a pastor in the Air Force, had come from Marietta and he was a war hero and Rock Hudson was playing the role of Colonel Hess, and they decided to have the world premiere in Marietta, Ohio. Nice. Now, that's really big doings for Marietta. It was not big doings for the cast of Battle Hymn. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was a lot of grousing. As, what, what are we doing in this burg? And I apologize to the people in Marietta, Ohio, if your broadcast gets there, but the truth is that it was kind of a comedown from uh, maybe Hollywood or New York City. Anyway, they're there, and I interviewed Rock Hudson for the local TV station at the college. Now, if you don't mind me jumping, I'm going to jump ahead about 40 years.
3: Go right ahead. It's all up, yours.
1: Okay, I wound up doing a guest star, one of the others of the 50 or so, or 60, you mentioned 100, but right around there called Macmillan and wife.
3: I remember and that. Mac show. Yes. wife
1: was with Susan St. James and Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm from Brooklyn and you and your audience and you were gonna know that I've got I love to talk and I've got a pretty big mouth. Now what happened <laughs> is that mouth almost killed my career. Here's what happened. I'm on the set with Rock Hudson and because I had met him twenty or twenty five years before, I figured we're we're buddies. Of course, he probably didn't even remember the whole trip, let alone me. But anyway, I'm on the set, and Rock Hudson was a pretty big guy; he was six foot four or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm six six. Now, on the set, you have stand-ins that stand in the position for the lighting of the scene, so that when you take your position as the actor, you're lit well. Mm-hmm. And I went up with my big mouth. <laughs> with my big mouth, I went up to Rock Hudson, and I said, "Hey, Rock! You know you're the only person on the set that as me. Would you mind standing in for me?" <laughs> oh my God! There was a moment of silence, and then everyone around him got silent. Then everyone around the stage got silent. And pretty soon, you the whole soundstage was like a tomb. And what probably was 15 or 20 seconds, and it felt like an hour for me, I said to myself internally, oh, my God, I just blew my career trying to be a smarty. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I must have been sweating profusely by this time. And he looked at me and said, sure, no problem. Everybody went, ah, and, and we went on. But it shows you that the hierarchy, you know, to to the industry. And he, he was a star. I was a minor guest star on this show. But you got to know, you know, per, your parameters. You got to know <laughs> what you can get away with. And I almost didn't make it. So that's that ties back into going to Marriott College in Marriott, Ohio. Now I did get a job from Slumberjay and they're still in business they're a worldwide oil producing company and i got a, the number one job of the uh of that year because i was number one in my class i was a wunderkind i started off brilliant and kind of slipped slowly into the morass <laughs> of normalcy but at the time i was pretty smart as i told you i started at 16 and, and i was 19 just 19 when i graduated from college with with two uh, associate degrees, but the truth is, I went. They sent me to Williston, North Dakota, and that's where your story comes in. Okay, so I'm in Williston. I'm in Williston, North Dakota. A couple things happened. One, I met a DJ, much like you, uh, in radio, who actually gave me my stage name because my real name is Paul Lee Crowell, K-R-O-L-L. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, nobody's going to be able to spell Kroll. They're going to send it C-R-O-W-K-R-O-W. He said, let's make you Paul Lee. And I said, no, wait a minute. If you make me Paul Lee, I'm going to be Chinese and four foot two. (laughs) And he said, you're right. You're too big. We'll make you Lee Paul. And that's what that's how I got my name. But I'm so I'm in Williston, North Dakota can I continue or do you want to get a
3: word in that wise? Absolutely keep on going here, you know what a- actually let's uh, hold the suspense here and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute we'll listen to Mike Wagner's show at the themikewagnershow.com powered by Sonic Web Studios visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs, link a professional website without breaking your budget, Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away call today at 1-800-303- 3960 That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention The Mike Wagner Show. Get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Also, The Mike Wagner Show is brought to you by Evan Fine of the Senior Reserve Group. When you start a business or own a business for a while, who you going to call for sole proprietorship insurance? Why not call the expert, Evan Fine of Senior Reserve Group. He also specializes in Medicare and long-term care insurance. Evan can be reached at 1-800-650-9357 that's 1-800-650-9357 or email to Evan Fine at reserve Group.com. licensed in 7 states in New York, New Jersey Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware South Carolina and Florida also the Mike Wagner Show can be heard on the MikeWagnerShow.com also check our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Mike Wagner Show you can also download and listen on SoundCloud Spreaker, Spotify and iHeartRadio also on YouTube you can watch the interview and coming soon Mike Wagner show be on the tvl tlb tv the liberty beacon tv network you can watch the interview as well too we're here with a very fine gentleman that went from uh, brooklyn to marriott ohio and on to williston north dakota lee paul the um, the uh very versatile actor he's been in business since 1966 25 years performing 30 and over commercials 75 more and uh on-camera appearances and TV shows, and we're just talking about Williston, North Dakota, and, um, y- you know, just the fact that uh, you got the name, and uh, what did you end up doing with it in uh, Williston?
1: Well, the point, the, the finish the finish of the Williston, North Dakota story, really, is that I got, after about three months there, and it was 19 below in the winter, and all there were there were cows and oil wells in mm-hmm. my day. Now, Williston today has got come back with the shale oil, it's big time again. But then there was nobody there but cows and oil wells. And I, I got called into the office of Slimber and they said, uh, we've got to tell you something. You're b- trying to be too funny. And I said, what do you mean, too funny? He we said, well, you're cracking jokes, and your jokes are better than the guys that own the oil patch. you got to understand. they're We're the, there because they let us be there. You can't be the funny man. And I said, whoa, if, if there's nothing but cows and oil wells and 19 below, and I can't even crack a joke, I'm not sure this is, worth, you know, this is where I want to be. And they said, you know what? We agree. And so they gave me a Broadway or bust party, and I left the environs of Williston, North Dakota, and wound up back in Brooklyn. Uh, living with my family for a while so i'll let you ask a different question but that's that's my Willis in north dakota story
3: that that is amazing too and i think there's like a a huge gap in there as well too that i did some sports casting for um keys radio 660 where where what happened was was that um you know the people were looking for um a a replacement sportscaster because um the guy up there, Ralph Lockwood had some health issues and they're looking for one. They come to me and he goes, Hey, interested in doing play by play. I said, yeah, sure. What do I do? So I had to um, just get all my things prepared to do a couple of football games. And then by the time the first football game was ready to begin, I got word that he passed away. And I went,
1: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome
3: to the family.
1: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
3: And here I am. It's like, I honestly have never heard the guy do a play-by-play. I can't find any files. I just look up some information. They said, okay, we got it covered. They put together a montage, and now... We throw it to you, and everything was great. And then I did it in honor of Ralph Lockwood, 50 years up in Williston, North Dakota. And then when it came to basketball, they got a replacement, and it turned out that his his hernia surgery had backfired. So I went, okay, it's like I'm replacing two sick people, and here I am just a— Pull off a wonderful job. And um, I took my family up there and, um, you know, just show them the places. I mean, there's a lot of hotels. You have a lot of restaurants. And, of course, you know, just along the strip, it's like it's all full of stores, strip malls, and everything else. And I have to say this, the, the trip up to Williston is very, very interesting. Oil well after oil well after oil well. And, of course, you know, stop frequently. It's like, you know, just take a break or whatever. So the one thing I have to advise is drink a lot of coffee i'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) right that that is amazing too i've been up in north dakota since 2007 as well too so i have to say this everything's changed it's a bigger bustling booming and i just love what i do you know up here but it's like we're not just catering to people in north dakota it's like we're catering to people just nationwide globally as well too but then going from williston to north dakota and then back to marietta and um so what did you end up doing uh, back in Marietta did you uh, get into another uh, position did you get in, no I didn't and, go
1: back I didn't go back to Marietta they they shipped me off to New York so I wound oh, back okay. up, wound I'm, up back in in Brooklyn
3: okay I'm sorry I don't know why I was thinking Marietta but uh, Brooklyn so just uh, continue on right. that so
1: <laughs> okay well here's the, I'm, it looks like we're gonna use most of my time in in the early years but that's okay if the audience uh, finds it entertaining so here I am living at home. And uh, there was a rumor that Gregory Peck had been discovered as an usher at the Radio City Music Hall.
2: Really? Now,
1: the Radio City Music Hall was one of the great movie palaces of all time. 6,000 seats, a huge... Uh, it's a block big... There's a whole world. You can, you can work at the Radio Music Hall and never go outside. I mean, they have cleaners, and they have food, and they've got every, you know places to sleep, everything. Anyway, the point is... It was a lie. <laughs> Gregory Peck was not discovered at Radio Music Hall, but I didn't know that. So I wound up becoming an usher at Radio Music City Music Hall. And I think I remember seeing Breakfast at Tiffany's like 27 times. I fell in love with it at Bert, as well as the whole world. <laughs> and one of the times I, I ushered in uh, uh, the world of Susie Wong, Nancy Kwong, in the world of Suzy Wong, which was a big uh, show with uh, William Holden. And anyway, I found that that was not the reason that Gregory Peck got into show business. So I, after a, a winter uh, at Radio City Music Hall, I decided maybe there's something else better for me, and I started to do what they call make the rounds, going around trying to get a job. Now, my father... I'm living at home, and my father looks at me one day and says, how come you're not in the military? And I said, well, I I don't know. I guess they don't know where I am. The next week, they knew where I was. He turned me in. Oh, my. (laughs) I I don't hear any exclamation, but he actually turned me in, and then what happened was very quickly I got drafted in the army now i you know i'm a graduate uh with a petroleum engineering degree and here i'm going to be in the trenches and i said i don't think so so i went into an air force recruiting station and said i'd like to be in the air force i'm a college graduate and i'd like to become an officer in the graduate they said in the air force they said no problem i said well there was one problem i just got drafted in the army they said no 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 problem and that's why I wound up in the Air Force, and then I wound up going to Lackland Air Force Base and becoming an officer. Now, there's a little few more stories. I don't want to spend the whole interview just in my beginnings, but what happened was I'm now in Reno, Nevada after Lackland, mm-hmm. and in Reno, Nevada at Stead Air Force Base. I think they do s- still have some um, pylon a plane racing at Stead Air Force Base today. Mm-hmm. But because of my uh, wanting to be in show business, I was in Air Defense Command. Air Defense Command is where people, controllers try to bring planes together so they shoot, shoot each other down. Weapons, that's a weapons controller. Aircraft controller in civilian life tries to keep them apart so they don't run into each other. But anyway, I was there in Williston, North Dakota, and I wound up auditioning for what is the... Um, Air Force equivalent to the to the USO USO, which is called Serenade in Blue at that time, and I wound up going around the country as the MC and the singer for Serenade in Blue. Nice. Now one day, some general, some general says, or major or whatever says, "Where is this guy crawl? And they said, "Oh, I think he's in Tennessee. What the hell is he doing in Tennessee? He's supposed to be here." <laughs> So they, they quickly got me back to Williston, I mean, back to uh, Reno, Nevada. And because I was a bad boy and hadn't done my due diligence in Reno, they shipped me to King Salmon, Alaska, because you mentioned that.
2: I, I was and just going to talk about that, yes.
1: In, that's why I wound up in King Salmon, Alaska for a year. And then after a year in, underground at King Salmon, Alaska, I wound up back on the West Coast, and I came to Hollywood in 65, 66, and that's where my career in Hollywood started.
3: That is amazing, too. Before we get to your uh, Hollywood career in 65, 66, tell us about what's it like in King Salmon, Alaska, and um, where where is it closer to what city, and um, where, where is it located uh, approximately? That's a very interesting place, King Salmon, Alaska.
1: Well, King Salmon, Alaska got its name because in those days, in the 60s, the average salmon catch was 60 pounds, Wow, 60 pounds. I mean, they've, they've fished out all that and the, and the huge (laughs) gigantic, uh, King crab. But if you take the elucid chain, which is like a little spot, and then gets wider and wider and wider and wider till it butts into the actual state of Alaska, right there is King salmon, Alaska. Now King salmon, Alaska is about 300 miles from Russia. Over the Bering Strait there, and that's another story because we used to play cat and mouse. We'd scramble our jets, they'd scramble our jets, and we'd play tag back and forth across the uh, Bering Straits to see who would be chicken first. And I got a great story about that, but I won't. I won't go that. But if you, we're about three or four, as I remember, three or four hundred miles from Fairbanks, but it's down in the southern part of Alaska at the at the base of the Aleutian chain, which was uh, important for us during World War II. But this was that. In fact, Bob Hope uh, wrote a book about it. I think it, it was called King Salmon Owes Me $60 or something like that. Cause he really? Played there, he played there in the U, uh, USO tours uh, during the war.
3: That is amazing, too. King Salmon Alaska owes $60. Was that in reference to, like, 60 pounds or something, or did someone no, actually own the, 60? I yeah. Said, no, I said the salmon, the average salmon weight was 60 pounds.
2: Okay. That,
1: in other words, the, the fish were huge, huge in those days. And they, and they, I don't think there's very many 60-pound salmons around there anymore because they're oh, 40 years of overfishing has killed that.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, that's something, too. We'll talk more about uh, King Salmon every time we fit in. We'll also get into how you started um, Hollywood. First of all, you listen to The Mike Wagner Show at the com. powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at SonicWebStudios.com for all you need. Looking for a professional website without breaking a budget, Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 1 800 303 3960. That's 1-800-303-3960 or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention The Mike Wagner Show. Get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, The Mike Wagner Show is brought to you by Evan Fine of the Senior Reserve Group. When you start thinking about retirement, who do you call about Medicare? Why call the best? Evan Fine of Senior Reserve Group specializing in Medicare, health, and long-term care insurance. Evan can be reached at 1-800-650-9357. That's one eight hundred six five zero nine three five seven. Or email to Evan Fine at Senior Reserve Group.com. Evan is licensed in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, South Carolina, and Florida. Also the Mike Wagner Show, keep your heard on the MikeWagner Show.com. Also check our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Mike Wagner Show. You can also download and listen on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Watch the interview on YouTube as well. And coming soon to TLB TV, the Mike Wagner Show on the Liberty Beacon TV network. You can also watch the interview as well too that's coming soon you can also uh check back later on as well we're here with uh brooklyn based and veteran actor since 1966 lee paul course going from brooklyn over to marietta ohio then over to um willison north dakota then over to uh reno tennessee king salmon alaska and now he's come to where in hollywood in 1966 and this is where you got started you can just uh get us started
1: well, before I go on, uh, I, I'd like to do a little pitch for myself because I've been listening to yours.
3: Absolutely. Uh,
1: if, if, if your audience can go to YouTube, I just finished a two-hour on-camera interview called The Jeff and Yankee Show. That's J-E-F-F and J-A-N-K-I Show mm-hmm. on YouTube. If they go to YouTube and look for The Jeff and Yankee Show, They'll see uh, different uh, different episodes, and mine is under my name, Lee Paul, and anything we don't cover today on this radio interview, they'll be able to pick up on that uh, program because we do go all over a lot of material, and I hope that I don't repeat all the same stories but the story is now I was in, in in LA and the first thing that happened in LA was there was an earthquake, a major earthquake. I think it was 64 or 65, mm-hmm. which was my welcoming, uh, moment at, uh, Los Angeles. And I followed the struggle that so many of uh, young people who go to Hollywood follow, you know, four or five million seem to come to Hollywood every year to become stars. And, uh, Luckily, 4.9 million leave, but that still leaves another 100 or 200,000 actors walking the streets looking for jobs. And it's always been tough, and it's even tougher now because there are more and more actors and less and less work because the cable shows do reruns most of the time. Luckily, some of the big cable networks are now producing fresh product, and that's great. But in those days, uh, the networks ruled everything, and it was, it was tough, it was tough. But I studied uh, in Hollywood with a very famous uh, acting teacher named Jeff Corey, one of the uh, premier acting coaches in the country, and slowly but surely I, I got some work. In fact, uh, on another interview, they asked what was my first show, and it was called Hey Landlord. Uh, which was a three camera comedy show, and uh, had my first line uh, on that show. And slowly but surely, you work and you work and you struggle and you work. and then I was very lucky to 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 meet up with uh, somebody at variety, which is our which is our in-house theatrical magazine. The Hollywood reporter and Variety has everything that's going on in the industry. and i every ten percent of everything I earned, as I struggled along, I put back in publicity. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I'm talking today is because I had 25 years of solid work, and then I was out of the industry for 25 years, and that's too many stories for you to to cover today. But I'm back trying to resuscitate my career and show the public and the hiring people out there that I'm alive, I can talk, I can hit my mark and uh, give a performance. And so that publicity was a big reason I was able to move forward. And it took me 25 years to go from a walk-on, so to speak, to what we call single-card, first position, lead Paul as in television. That's the best billing you can get. And uh, the things about, I told you about the hierarchy in, in, in the industry. It took me 30 years to get to, top billing, and money, and it takes 30 seconds to go back to zero because in the American scheme of things, an actor is only as good as his last part. And if you step back, either in billing or money or size of the roles, you stop slipping all the way back. Now, in England, we have Academy of well, no, Lords, uh, you know, Sir... Richard Burton, so this doing walk-ons and it's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable. So we have this richness of the great stars in, in England doing supporting roles and, and giving a richness and a texture to the character side of the, of the roles uh, of the stories. But in America, if, if you were Paul Newman, and he's still alive, unfortunately he's gone, uh, and he took a role as a walk-on just for fun, Uh, Unless he took no billing and was so heavily made up they didn't recognize who he is. he would have ruined the momentum of his career. And that's one of the failings of the way the system works in uh, Hollywood, if, if you're interested. But the reason I brought all this up is, talking about this, I realized I was lucky enough to do a lot of work a lot of varied roles for a big guy, which, you know, can I get the box boss, that kind of a character, I was able to branch out into into all kinds of different roles. But the point is that I don't want people to realize, or I want people to realize that it's not easy. Uh, Anybody that's out there that has the dream of being a performer should go to night school, get that uh, degree, uh, in plumbing because you can't beat the overtime on Sundays and holidays you need you need a backup
3: <laughs> yeah that's pretty much true too and of course um you also started um you know, I noticed here that you started with um with a uh, hey landlord and uh, you're here in Hawaii 50 for about a few years as well too and uh you can tell us about that great start and uh, I am sure you heard the I'm sure you heard Buckam Daniel so many times so
1: <laughs> well here here's the story about the Hawaii 50 I, was, I did a couple of them, but the, mo- the main one that I did was called Skinhead.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was. this is a very interesting story because it was the first major network television show to talk about male impotency. I had been in an accident and couldn't do it, but I wanted to prove to the guys in the barracks that I was still a man, so I wanted to be convicted of rape to prove that I was a man now that's pretty twisted and in fact it was so controversial that after the first airing it didn't air for six or seven years it got so much flack from the public how dare you talk about erections today uh, erectile dysfunction is on every ad in the afternoon every day of the week. But in those days, it was, it was a big, big no, no. So what happened was it didn't play for a long time, but it was a wonderful role. And it was one of the few Hawaii five O's in all the six seasons that he did that the camera ended on my face and not on Jack Lord's.
3: That is amazing. What's it like working with Jack Lord?
1: Well, that's another story. And, uh, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather.
0: Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: VTW Group. No purchase necessary.
1: Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woo-hooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Don't
1: like to talk about the people of this past, but Jack Lord. Named himself Lord. That's the first, the first clue.
3: Uh-huh.
1: When I did my first Hawaii Five i I'm being driven to the set by a Hawaiian driver, and I said, "Tell me about Jack Lord." Just like you want to know, I wanted to know, right? And the driver said, "Mr. Lord has no friend because he need no friend."
2: Hmm.
1: Now, it was he was a tough guy, Jack Lord really believed in his heart that he was the reason the Hawaiian Islands were popular. He didn't realize that the islands were there for, the, you know, time in memoriam and discovery, what, in the 1600s or 1700s. But he thought Hawaii 5 put Hawaii on the map. And that was his ego. And the truth of the matter is that he did not volunteer anything. He was the star. He was the producer of the show, and he rented all the equipment to CBS. So what happened was he made a lot of money. And when when the Oahu Islands wanted to give a, a a parade or anything like that, and they asked Mister Lord to attend, he said no problem. Uh, the fee fifty thousand dollars or whatever. He wow. never gave very never gave much back. Now here's the tragedy. We talk. I like to bring in. Acting skills along with my little stories.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Actors, actors live by looking at each other. The empathy, the connection from eyeball to eyeball. By the time I did a Wi Fi with Jack Lord, he was dead behind the eyes. Either he didn't care or just, it wasn't there anymore. Now, he, early on, I think he did Stony Burke or one of the early shows, he did a movie called God's Lurker, Caldwell's God's Little Acre. He was a marvelous actor, expressive, uh, communicative, wonderful. And you could see in his performance, he was alive as an actor. But by the time he became a quote-unquote television star, in my opinion, and people who have worked with him who hear your show may want to argue with this, but I felt he was dead behind the eyeballs. And so he was not, not an easy man to work to.
3: Mm-hmm. That, that sounds interesting as well, too. It almost sounds like he's become more like the, um, the prima donna or just content, and that's what it sounded like as well, too. So that's just, an, that's just an interesting story, too. You also appeared in Ben as well, too, Mission Impossible, McMillan and the Wife, and Kung Fu, The Rookies. And a lot of these are very familiar with as well, too, and um, that's before The Sting. And just uh, tell us a little about some of the uh, series you've been in, especially with Mission Impossible.
1: Well, uh, Mission Impossible has an interesting story. I did get three or four of them uh, through its run. Uh, the uh, Mission Impossible series uh, was. uh, not who the uh, the main actor was. My mind just went blank.
3: Oh, Peter I, Graves. I, Peter Graves. That's Peter it. Graves. Be- because Peter I, I, Graves. Yes, that's right. Okay. And I did remember the uh, theme as well too. So.
1: Right. So it was a great show, and Peter Graves had the run. Now. I played different heavies. You know, bad guys are, you know, big guys are bad guys. And I got beat up every, in fact, my career is really a career in dying. I've died in the first five seconds of the show and all the way in, at the end in the last five seconds of the show. In fact, I did a, I did a movie of the week, uh, a, two, a four-hour movie of the week with a lot of big stars called Condominium. And I was interviewed in Panama City Beach, Florida, and uh, they asked me, what did you like to see for uh, Lee Paul? I said, to live to the next show. <laughs> because I was, I, I was all, always dying. But
3: uh, where do we start this? Tell me again. I, I think it was where we had uh, Mission Impossible. We talked about okay, that. Okay, that's right. So what happened was
1: I did Mission Impossible, and then uh, 10 years later, I'm in a wonderful, wonderful show called Underground Man. Now, Underground Man was, was written by Ross McDonald, and Ross McDonald was our contemporary Dashiell Hammett, who did The Thin Man and a lot of those other great stories. He was a terrific mystery writer, and he developed the Lou Hopper series. as Lou Hopper was a detective. Paul Newman did a couple movies based on his books, uh-huh. the drowning pool and some things like that. Anyway, I'm playing a, a here's, this is another sad story, but it, but it's very important. My real brother had brain damage.
2: Mm.
1: How he got it is another story, but I won't go into it, but he was an idiot savant. You know, he, he had no social skills. He couldn't talk very well, but you put a 50,000 piece puddle puzzle in front of him. He could do it in an hour. It was, you know, they had that kind of focus. Anyway, I'm playing a, a a big old retarded guy that I base most of my those characters on my real brother, and the uh, my mother was played by Dame Judith Anderson, one of the great actresses of the world. It was filled with a uh, Jack Klugman and a lot of wonderful people, including Peter Graves. So I kind of re met Peter Gla- Graves years later doing the Underground Man, which was a uh, a really, really important part in my career. Uh, now, you talk about the ups and downs. The show was g- absolutely wonderful with a terrific cast, and if anybody can ever see it uh, and find it on YouTube or whatever, uh, it's called Underground Man, uh, Mission Impossible.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: no, I'm sorry, Ross McDonald. But the truth the truth of the matter is, is that you get these opportunities, and then... Uh, because you're trying to expand your your range, uh, I wound up paying paying a lot of mentally retarded guys one after another, and uh, I did an Ironside with Jodie Foster when she was only twelve years old. Oh wow! Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, oh yeah, well, if they if people want to take the time, and it's up to them, of course. If they want to take the time and go to IMDb Internet Movie dot com or Google my name, you'll see tons and tons of shows. I was very lucky that way. But the truth is that I finally went up to one of the producers who kept hiring me time and time again for these big kind of, quote, I hate to this, but kind of stupid guys, okay? Uh-huh. And I finally, I went up to him and I said, listen, you know, you've had me play the same character in five or six or seven different shows. I'm an actor. I'd love... I'd love to to expand, do something different. Why do you keep hiring me for the same part over and over again? And he said, it's simple. You do it, it's done. It's over. I don't have to think about it. And I said, okay, all right, and, and, and I've done some credible work for you. Will you please consider me for something else? Uh-huh. And he said, absolutely. Never heard from him again. Ouch. Never heard. Heard from him again. And that's what happens to stars and performers in the American scheme. They get to be uh, who they are, and people are hiring them for them. You know, one of the only movies that Paul Newman ever did that didn't make money was a movie called Slapshot about hockey. Oh, I remember remember that.
3: Yes, I remember. I loved it. he He was a gay
1: coach, as I remember. And the public just would not buy, even though the performance might have been great, would not buy him in that role. And nobody went to see it. Now, that ties me into, before you have to take another break, I guess, that ties me into the story of The Sting and why that's probably the highlight of my career only because it's an Academy Award film that won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture in 1973. And, again, I'm uh, talking about Paul Newman and Robert Redford and Robert Shaw. Now, Charlie Deerkop is a, a little short guy with a bad nose who uh, went on to do Policewoman with Angie Dickinson for five or six years.
3: I remember that as a show, regular. yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, him and I were Robert Shaw's bad guys, the bodyguards, the garbage men. Now, the true story about The Sting is, it, it was a sleeper. Nobody expected it to to do what it did. In fact, in today's money, adjusted for today's money and inflation and all that, it's one of the ten top-grossing films of all time. And what happened was Robert Shaw was not the first choice for the movie. They were going to try to get. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He he played. A, I'll think of it in a second. Uh, Redford and Newman, and my heavens. He played the that uh, Western uh detective, oh my God, oh, isn't that terrible? See I know I remember some things from fifty years ago, like I can remember a line I did uh, at um a movie where I was supposed to go to uh to Scotland or or to Norway, and it was called Vita Out Minddefinutis." We looked everywhere. But we, I couldn't. We couldn't find him. It was from Island at the Top of the World. That was 50 years ago. I remember that, and I can't remember the actor that didn't take the role because they thought he would. Newman and Redford would outshine him. So what happened is they, when they came around to Robert Shaw, who was not only a great actor and a great director and a great playwright, but uh, a great negotiator as well. Amazing and that's the business side of show business. He got everything that Newman got. Points, size of billing. Everything down the road it was a wonderful experience, though.
3: That sounds amazing, too. And, of course, um, you know, a little bit of comedy as well, too. You were in Happy Days for a little bit. So sounds like you had fun with uh, Ron Howard and uh, Henry Winkler and Company. You can just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, the Happy Days, big guys are, 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 are bad guys, but they're also to be dummies. And the, the one show that I did, I, I was a bouncer at a strip club, I guess Bonzi was going to try to marry uh, one of the strippers, it was kind of a funny thing. Anyway, the <laughs> other two guys were trying to get in, and they hand, me, they hand me their ID, and I say, Hey, hey, wait a minute, let me look at this. And then I say, Well, quick, tell me, when were you born? And he said, uh, I don't know, 52? I said, Oh, I guess that's close enough. And I give him his, I give him his phony uh, uh, driver's license, and he gets in. Now, the fun thing about that, the story, the side story to that, it's the other actor that was with me had one line I had three, but he had one line and it took him 17 takes to get it right.
3: Oh my goodness. So
1: sometimes, sometimes you have to be ready, you know, in other words, you can want it, you can love it. You can think you're ready, but you've got to train. You've got to get the discipline. You've got to get the control of yourself and your emotions. So that when the light, when the red light goes on backstage or when the, director says, action, you can perform because you don't get that many chances to screw up. You screw up one time, you're pretty much done. You're pretty much done. So anybody that's going to go out there and, or come out here and fight the, the good battle, and by the way, those who want to be in the industry, no one can dissuade them. Now, no matter what I say about how tough it is, they're going to go and try no matter what. But train. Get some training, get some studies, improve your voice, uh, work on your memory, because you're going to need those things under the pressure, and that's where where the good guys and the great actors really make your, their breakthrough. Otherwise... You're going to get weeded out. You're just not going to get there.
3: That is amazing, too. We'll get to another classic, um, you know, iconic uh, TV show in just a minute. You Listen to Mike Wagner's show at the mikewagnershow.com. Powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Looking for a professional website without breaking a budget? Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960 or email to support at sonicwebsudios.com. Mention The Mike Wagner Show. Get 10% off for first order. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Also, The Mike Wagner Show is brought to you by Evan Fine of the Senior Reserve Group. When you start thinking about retirement, who are you going to call about Medicare? Why call the best? Evan Fine of Senior Reserve Group. Specialized in Medicare, health, and long-term care insurance. Evan can be reached at 1-800-650-9357. That's one eight hundred six five zero nine three five seven, 650 9357 or email to Evan Fine at seniorreservegroup.com. Evidence License in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, South Carolina, and Florida. Also, The Mike Wagner Show can be heard on the TheMikeWagnerShow.com. You can also check our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Show. You can also download and listen on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also watch the interview on YouTube as well. And coming soon, The Mike Wagner Show will be on TLBTV.com. You can catch The Mike Wagner Show at at the liberty beacon tv network.com we're here with veteran actor lee paul who um started off in brooklyn went on to uh college in marietta ohio became uh worked in the oil patch in Williston, north dakota became an air force officer in king salmon alaska he was also in reno in tennessee and came to highwood since 1966 just covering a lot of shows and another iconic tv series um I want to talk about is Ironside. You have appeared in a few episodes with Raymond Burr, so tell us about that, and what's it like working with uh, Raymond Burr?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you that, but since publicity is what this is all about, I'd like to, permission just to tell people about the book, my book, which is called Bitch, Pitch, and Get Rich.
3: I was just going to talk about that, yeah, so go ahead anyway.
1: <laughs> so. Okay, I'll, I'll just mention it because it's an important book. Because it says that everybody bitches about everything, but few people do anything about it. And this little book, this self-help book, self-improvement book, which you can get on Amazon, uh, and and you can also get a free chapter to read it to see if you see the value in it, says that if you bitch about something, you owe it to yourself and to your loved ones to try to pitch a better idea. And even if the idea is bad, you're going to enrich your life by getting involved. So the point is that uh, it's, a, it's a book that helps you develop your vocabulary, uh, your memory, which mine seems to fail every once in a while, <laughs> uh, getting, the, the, getting the courage to step, stand on your two feet and, and say what you believe in and, 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 and fight for your own individuality. So that's just that book, and I hope that people will take a moment and check it out uh, on Amazon. Now, you mentioned Raymond Burr, And you mentioned Ironside. I did a few of them, but the one that's kind of stuck in my mind is the one with Jodie Foster. I just mentioned that to you before we went on air. She was 11 or 12. She was brilliant. She knew everybody's dialogue, including my own. And again, I played kind of a, a retarded, big, oafish friend of hers and uh, I'm accused of murder, but I didn't do it. It's kind of convoluted, but an interesting side story to that is Rod Serling, who wrote uh, Twilight Zone, had a small part in the film in that uh, episode as well, which was sort of interesting. Now, Raymond Burr had done so many shows and was so uh, adept, he could go from, he would do his close-ups on different shows, one right after another, Sometimes he wasn't, the rest of the cast wasn't even there. The camera was just on in. The The uh, script supervisor would read the character's uh, dialogue that he was involved in with that show, and he'd give the response and go back and forth. And then they say, next, he'd change his outfit, come back out, do another show. And that was truly amazing. I did not have that much. Um, uh interaction with Raymond Burr on the, the one that I did with Bubble Bubble Twirl, and Murder because he was either away or ill and it gave the other two stars a chance to show their talent and uh, and, and and
0: therefore uh with the Lucky Land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
1: problems uh I, I i came up with a performance that got this kind of response i got mail from across the country and this is the truth from people saying they were so happy that somebody with a mental disability was given a chance to be in show business
3: wow that is something and of course whatever the shows you've uh, been in that involved um a major breakthrough or just simply um something you play um out of character, just something experimental. So let's get into some uh, TV shows and movies where it's like, you know, it stood for a cause or, you know, someone with mental disabilities and just, you know, just making a stand or something, or, you know, just something that uh, you've never done before and you succeeded. Maybe just uh, give us a few movies or uh, some TV shows.
1: Well, I'm trying to remember, but that just brings in back to the actors who want to be actors. Uh, and it's great to have stories and talk about stars, and I was lucky to work with some very big, beautiful stars. But the truth is, as a performer, you have to try to be a great observer of life. And in my case, it was my brother in, in that aspect. But you've got, you've got to be an observer. You've got to not only communicate, you not only have to talk, but you have to listen. And you've got to look about everything about you, everything around you, is of interest. How people walk, how they stand, how they slouch, how they stutter or don't stutter. All these things are life. And that, my new agent, and I, and, I don't even know if it, you're so far away from us, but I'm just signed with an agency called the Brogan Agency here in Los Angeles. And she just asked me, she said, Well, tell me about yourself. Because they actually found me after 30 years of non on camera exposure and I said well for the first 25 years I was acting and for the next 25 years I was learning about life
2: mm-hmm.
1: learning about living learning about people uh, learning learning to be an, a better observer a better uh, experienced living human being and that's what we need to do you know what's happened to technology today people text each other across the table it's terrible. We've lost the ability, or we we've, we're losing the ability to look at each other one on one and actually communicate. That's why my book "Bitch Pitch and Get Rich" is important, because we've got to get back to talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're talking to each other through the airwaves, but when we meet with people, in fact, I'll tell you one quick story. I just bought something, and it, it was from a guy in Romania, mm-hmm. uh, and he said. I said, the same thing. We're, we're becoming so dependent on technology, we've lost the ability. He said, I'll tell you what we do. Our friends get together once a week for dinner, and the first person that takes out his cell phone pays the bill.
3: <laughs> I heard something about that. It was on Facebook. I love it. <laughs> and that, and that, is,
1: that is what we need to do. We need to start talking to each other again. We could solve a lot of the world's problems if we would just talk and listen, not talk, 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 talk or or, or, or um uh,
3: or tweet, tweet, Twitter, tweet,
1: tweet, tweet. Or tweet, 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 which is what we're going on right now.
3: Right, yeah, and that's something I personally don't use. And, of course, you know, the leader of the country just tweets on everything, which, you know, way back when, it's like, you know, the presidents before, they kept the tweets to themselves, thoughts themselves, and everything else, unless memoirs come out. And um, I'm going to share a story as well, too, talking about, um, you know, why it's important to talk to each other. And I'll share a story before we um, get into um, the next question as well, too, that uh, I took my family out to a nice um uh, mexican restaurant in dickinson north dakota and um you know my wife serena just simply said hey let's try this restaurant and i said okay we uh come on in we're greeted by um a singing waiter, a singing greeter from Los Angeles and said, you know, hello, how you doing? He grew up in Mexico and uh, he was talking away five, 10 minutes before he finally gets seated. Look at the menu, look at the menu. And here he comes, you know, taking the order and he's singing and uh, serenading and uh, telling jokes and stories and exclusively our table. And I'm like, what's up with this? The food is great, but you know, we're talking away. He says, the reason why I love talking to you is because you're not on your phones and if i see anybody on their phone i just pass by and i think that's a great story i tell everybody it's like it's like once yes, you're at a restaurant is. put the phones away and i think that's a great testament i'll tell you absolutely good story yes it is that's right and of course um you know just um you know had your uh, stories and everything else of being in showbiz and uh, who would you say was your, um, your 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 favorite um you know movie star artist or a uh, tv show or movie um Growing up in uh, Brooklyn.
2: Oh, well,
1: those are the stories. Oh my God, we're going to need another four or five days. But oh, when I oh, grew oh, up, in, that's perfect. When, that's when perfect. I grew <laughs> up in <laughs> when I grew up in Brooklyn, my mother used to take me as a youngster, seven, eight years old, to a little hole in the wall theater called the Pineapple Theater, and they would run films. And I remember uh, watching like Randolph Scott, okay, in a Western. Mm-hmm. And my mother would sit there and be crying because of the very simplistic story of, you know, man meets girl, man gets girl, man loses girl. And I would always remember me as a little kid say, stop crying, Ma. It's not, you're embarrassing me. Stop it. Well, now as I'm getting in the twilight of my years, having a good cry is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Having the emotions come out and let yourself be free. A lot of the men today feel that if they're not stoic and won't show emotion, that it makes them more of a man. And I, I believe that's not the the truth. I think it's the antithesis of the truth. I think if we have emotions, we should let them let them flow freely, uh, express our, our, our sensitivities, because uh, it's not all fists and guns. It's you know it's understanding butterflies and roses and the wind and and uh, caring for something and somebody. And I just that's one of the reasons I was an actor. And I think uh, I and I say was and that's a, should be a misnomer. I should say am an actor because once you're an actor, you're always an actor. But the truth is. I, I, I reveled in, in, in the emotions and in the intimacy that, that performing allows. and You know, the great, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now too, Charles, Charles Lawton, the great actor, English actor, said uh, it's my job to take on a role and show the internal guts and feelings of these characters because the people watching will be able to empathize and sense that, though maybe in their own lives they don't have the courage or strength to show the same kind of feelings in their own world. But they can partake of the humanity that the great writing and my performance, (laughs) he said, allows (laughs) to bring to the screen. And that's really what it's all about. Acting should be about stories, and that's why I'm a, a fan of Turner Classic Movies. I mean, we... They used to write stories then. Film noir is my most famous uh, genre. But the point is, today, we blow up everything. We've blown up the universe so many times, there's nothing else to blow up. (laughs) We don't do do character development anymore. We do tremendous uh, tremendous uh, CIG and phony and, and, and unbelievable. You can't tell reality from not reality. In fact, you know that probably. There's a couple big actors that were in the Star Wars that are dead, and they brought them back. And created their own the character after they're dead.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yes, yeah, so that is astound- astounding. Astounding to me. That is yes, and I remember watching Star Wars and the ability to bring uh, characters back. And of course, you know, I had the um, director's Michael Bay, who uh, put emphasis on explosions and everything else in his one movie, quick, and said, "How the heck could you run so fast from an explosion?" It's like that's the big number one question: How can you do that?
1: Well. We, we 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 have lost, I, in my opinion, humble though it may not be, in my opinion, great storytelling is what makes great theater and great films. And hopefully we're going to find a way to get back to more films that can show uh, human empathy as well as the unbelievable technicalities and technical prowess that they they can do on films today.
3: Mm -hmm. That is amazing, too. We'll talk about that next time. And um, also, what do you consider your your most favorite project of all the things you've been in since 1966? What is the most challenging, and what is your most memorable moment?
1: Well, I must say that The Sting offered me certainly the opportunity to play with the big boys, the A-list boys, and it made me more money than any other picture because of the residuals for 30 years. Mm-hmm. But I think my, uh, my role in Underground Man is Friend Snow, which was so close to my real brother's medical situation. And the fact that James Judith Anderson, who again is one of the great female artists of all time, said to my agent at the time, the boy is good. And that was praise from her and praise for me but it also meant that I really had tuned into the character and, uh, and brought, in fact, Ross McDonald, I have the hard copy of the, of the book, and he, ins- he inscribed in the, on the first page to Lee Paul who brought Fritz Snow to life. Now, that's like doing a Broadway show and being the first actor to play the role. In film, doing a hard hard copy original script and brought to the screen and getting that kind of comment is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So I'd say Fritz Snow in The Underground Man by Ross McDonald.
3: That is amazing, too. And, of course, we have a few minutes left here. And uh, who do you consider biggest influence in your career?
1: Well, I have to say that my teachers, and, again, I stress the fact you've got to study, uh, there was a very famous coach, I don't know if I mentioned it so far today, but his name was Jeff Corey, one of the ten top uh, acting coaches in the country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He, uh, he took a, 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 raw, a, a raw talent who wanted desperately to succeed and, 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 be, and be a performer and tempered uh, that spirit to the point where I could get some control and therefore have what we call in the acting industry, the third eye. No matter how involved you are in a scene, no matter what what physical prowess you have to demonstrate, you've got to have a little third eye way up in, uh, in the sky looking down at you performing so you don't go beyond the restraints of either believability or physical impossibility. There are, you know, there's... I, I keep looking at the clock and saying we're running over, but there's, there is a, a fine line between what I call insanity and genius. Mm-hmm. And that line is so tenuous and it moves back and forth according to whatever the role and whatever the moment is. But there are some... Uh, Christopher Walken, you, you know the name. Correct, yes. Right? If you watch him you never know whether he's going crazy or or he's insane or if he's just so unbelievably pure in what he's doing that it scares you <laughs> and 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 the point is that that discipline of being able to move back and forth over the line and still maintain the third eye is what makes great acting the great actor you have to have range you have to have a great voice you have to have discipline and and you have to have memory and you have to take direction but the truly great stars have that ability to to balance that fine line between truly insanity and true genius and that's what makes exciting theater, exciting films and that's uh, what's important.
3: That is amazing too and what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point?
1: First place get a real job. <laughs> in other <laughs> words, go to school, get your degree, learn a trade, have something to fall back on because 99.9% are going to fail no matter how good or how special you think you are. But don't give up the dream. Right. Study, take your classes, take theater in in, in school and Keep pushing the boundaries, but know, have a backup to pay the bills because otherwise you're going to wind up like me 30 years later trying very hard to get back into the industry uh, without without that backup because I'm too old to be an engineer anymore because in my days, they used slide rules. <laughs> Today's <laughs> engineers don't even know what a slide rule is.
3: I so remember, saying, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't, give, don't give up the dream, but, but be practical. Try to learn a trade. Try to get a degree in something so you have a, a way to sustain yourself. I, I quit the petroleum engineering business too early. I should have worked in four or five years, built a little nest egg for myself, and then tried show business. I went out because I was telling too many funny jokes in Williston, North Dakota, and wound up struggling Financially, for all those early years, where, where I I could have been pay, been in a better frame of mind, more comfortable. I really worked on my craft without worrying at where I was going to have the next meal. So that's what I would tell the people out there. Don't give up the dream, but be sure you've got a backup plan.
3: I think that's very practical, too. That is amazing. And, of course, uh, we'd like to have you back on again soon with more stories and everything. Lee, you've been fantastic. And before we go here, we know you're very busy. Tell us some of your upcoming projects, your website, how can people contact you, and where can they uh, purchase your book? Well, the book is at
1: Amazon. Just go to Amazon and look up Bitch, Pitch, and Get Bitch by Lee Paul. You can get a free copy, a free chapter, and if you like it, I think it's been reduced to $9.95. And I'm telling you, there's there's something in that book for everybody at every level, at every every phase of success in their life. Uh, I can be reached, of course, at imdb.com and Google. And when you ask me what am I doing, this is what I'm doing. These little radio shows, I don't want to be, be, belittle it. But I say little because we were on the air almost an hour and 15 minutes, but I'm I'm trying the publicity angle again. I've got a new agent, the Brogan Agency. I've got a new demo. I've got that uh, Jeff and Yannick show on, on Bluetooth. Uh, not Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. On YouTube. Uh, because it's all about show and business. And right now, it's For Lee Paul, it's about show, getting back into the industry. Hopefully somebody out there is going to say, boy, if nothing else, that guy can talk. <laughs> maybe we can find a, a, a part for him. Oh,
3: well, that'd be great. We'll keep our eyes on it. And uh, Lee, just want to say you've been fantastic. We'll definitely have you back on again. Thank you very much for your time. You've been fantastic. And I'd like to do something where it's like we can have a marathon on this, uh, maybe on video or something. How would you like that? I'd love it. Uh, I'd be great. Okay, thank you very much again. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, do us a favor—keep us updated. Look forward to having you again soon. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for the audience for listening.
2: Thanks for listening to the Mike Wagner show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Listen online at the mikewagnershow.com and on Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And watch the interview on YouTube. Also, become a sponsor of the program. And or donate today at the mikewagnershow.com. Join us again tomorrow for another episode of the Mike Wagner show.